Let us turn to the, um, to the Lord in prayer before we look into his word. Father, we give you thanks for the instruction, the correction, the truth of your word, Lord. We know your word sanctifies us. It makes us more in the image of Christ day by day as you work all things through our lives for your glory and our good. So we ask that you would speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit enlighten the truth, and may we apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. The the title of our message this morning is Work, a Reflection of God's Character. Uh, This is part one. I invite you to turn with me uh, in the book, uh, God's Word, to Ephesians chapter 4. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And of course, uh, this being the weekend before Labor Day, I thought this message would be appropriate to look at during our time together. Next week, we will conclude... Uh, this study as we look at part two on Labor Day, whoever's here. I've always thought it was a bit humorous uh, that we take a day off from work to celebrate a day of work. Don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining, I'm just observing what, how we celebrate Labor Day. I believe it is right that we as Christians celebrate labor because we will spend the majority of our lives working. Some working within the home, some working uh, outside the home, working under supervision in companies or businesses, some employing others and running businesses. There are even some that are retired, but still working hard involved in various activities, ministries, and taking care of loved ones. The average worker will work full-time from the age of 22 years to 67 years old. That's 45 years spent working on the average of 47 hours per week, and that's if you're lucky. This is a large portion of our lives. Although it is a constant reality in our lives, most people have no concept of the value of work. Sadly, even many Christians have lost their understanding of what used to be called the Protestant work ethic. Listen to what John Calvin says concerning work in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He writes, quote, Each individual has his own kind of living assigned to him by the Lord as a sort of sentry post so that he may not heedlessly wander about throughout life. There is no employment so mean or sordid or low or common, in other words, as not to appear truly respectable and be deemed highly important in the sight of God, end quote. Now that is an extreme, extremely powerful statement he makes. Calvin is saying, and by the way, 
This was the understanding of the reformers and also believers throughout church history. Whatever your work, whatever you do day in and day out, whether it's within the home or outside the home, working for others, hiring others, self-employed, whatever you do daily in your life, it matters to God. In fact, it's a divine calling from God. Understanding that, Christians have historically been the most creative and successful workers. Unfortunately, this is another of those truths that today's church has largely forgotten. The truth of the matter is this. Our work and our labor is a divine gift and calling from God our Father. Last, let me uh, ask you, as a believer this morning, these questions. Do you know or remember the origin of work? What about the reasons for work? What about the value of work? Do you know how to do your work every day as unto the Lord? That's what I want us to examine together this Lord's Day. I want us to consider several passages, but specifically two in the book of Ephesians that will provide a sort of framework for our study today in Ephesians 4 verse 28. And next week, Lord willing, we will look at Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. From these two passages, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we discover several key principles about our work or vocation. Well, that's my introduction this morning. <laughs> Sorry, it took a little long, but now we will read the passage of Scripture look at the context of the passage of Scripture, and then we will explain the passage of Scripture. So again, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Please stand if you're able. I would like to read over this word of God, and then we will look into this word. We're going to start in verse 17 to sort of set the context of this passage. Ephesians 4, verses 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as Gentiles also walk, in the fertility of your mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, and they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deception, and that you, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, 
for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil any opportunity. This is our verse, verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one in need. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Getting old, I can't see. (laughs) Paul begins to offer practical advice of living the Christian life from the start of Ephesians chapter 4. The previous section presents us with all-encompassing understanding of who we are in Christ and the tremendous privileges that are ours by faith in him. But once we arrive at this section, he instructs us on the correct response all believers should have to the amazing grace bestowed on us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We should no longer live like the unsaved, he explains in chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. That we should no longer walk in the fertility of mind, being darkened in understanding, being excluded from the life with God because of ignorance and hardness of heart. Instead, we should be motivated towards godly living because of his amazing grace towards us and his deep love for us and our thankfulness to him for this great salvation that he has given us. It should become our deep desire to live godly in Jesus Christ and lay aside the old, corrupted, sinful self which functions in the lusts of worldly deceit and put on the new man with the new heart which desires to walk by faith and in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul gives us in Ephesians 4 verses 25 through 32 five specific examples of what the new, higher standard of Christian conduct should look like, putting off the old, unsaved man and putting on the new, redeemed man. Here are Paul's examples. Number one, put off lying and put on speaking the truth. Number two, put off anger and put on self-control. Number three, put off stealing and put on working hard. Number four, put off unwholesome talk and put on speech that builds up others. And lastly, put off bitterness, rage, and malice and put on love. You see, part of Denying the devil a foothold in our lives comes through the practical actions of every believer. In a large city such as Ephesus, theft was likely common. Those who could not support themselves by trade 
might have lived almost entirely by stealing. That more than likely included some of Paul's readers prior to coming in faith, to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's words would have been personal for these individuals as he wrote, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Now, as we put this into context here, Paul is illustrating the process of sanctification, practical sanctification or progressive sanctification, specifically the principle of replacement. If as believers we are going to overcome sin habits in our lives, we can't just stop doing these things in our own strength. We must instead replace those sin patterns with positive virtues found in the power of God's word. Today, as we look at this passage before us, the virtue that replaces stealing is what? Hard work. Work hard for it, right? But what Paul teaches in verse 28 isn't just for those who are tempted to steal. In fact, the second half of the verse spells out for us the first two principles about work that every Christian must understand. So let's look at them together. And before I go into the first principle, I'd like to speak outside my notes for a minute. I remember graduating school and going to work for the young people here. Uh, you know, we start with these kind of jobs that, you know, are definitely not going to be, most of the time aren't going to be jobs we're going to work the rest of our lives. And, um, you know, I had lazy, lazy habits, you know. They don't, they don't care what I do for them. The owner's making a ton of money. Here I am. And, and you know, everything that came with that being unsaved, uh, you know, putting in for extra time, taking something home from work. And I, I felt this bad about it. <laughs> and um, that's how I was. And then I heard the gospel. Then God saved me. Then I became a, a new man in Christ. The old garments came off, the new garments came on. The old person went into the grave, the new person was raised up with Christ. And there became a sensitivity to sin. Whereas I work now, I just didn't work for that business. I worked for my Lord and my God. He's seen everything I do. He's seen my work ethic. And whether you're in school, through high school, college, grad school, you have aim on being a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever your ambitions are in life, you need to start with the small stuff first, and you've got to work hard at it, and you've got to work unto the Lord through it, and God will bless it, and God will come alongside it, and God will bless you and the labor of your hands if it's for the Lord. See, people that own businesses that hire Christians benefit from that because what we do for the Lord, we become their best employees and the most valued employees because we don't just work to work. We work for our Lord and we bless the owner and the business and the places that we're at and the customers and everything else. So it's very important that we understand that the power of God's word transforms our lives. 
Again, Paul talked about the old garments, the old man. And then he talks about how the new man lives, how the, how, how the man lives with new garments on. So that's, that's the contrast here. And the, the contrast between stealing and working hard. So principle number one, work is a command, a divine gift, and a reflection of God's character. That's in your outline, if you want to see it in the bulletin. Principle number one, work is a command, a gift, and a reflection of God's character. Now this implied, now this is implied within the context of this verse. It's in this verse we learn, in a sense, about the origin and nature of work. Verse 28 says, rather, instead of stealing, the Christian must labor. Now understand this, whether you struggle with stealing or not, all of us as believers are called to put on the positive virtue of hard work. Now the Greek word for labor here means to work to a point of exhaustion. That's what we're called to do. Now why is that? Why would it be right for Christians, all of us, to put on a virtue of hard work? You know, it's critical, if we're going to understand this, to remember what work, that work was not the result of the fall. That's what a lot of Christians think, right? They'll say, it's because of what Adam did that I have to work every day. And that's not true. Work, in fact, is a fundamental part of the character of God himself. God works. Obviously, he worked in creation, right? In fact, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we learn that God completed the work of creation. That's what it's called. God worked for six literal days, we're told, in creating the universe. But that isn't all the work that God did. You know, a lot of people hear that and say, well, uh, God created the, the, day, the, the earth in six days, and then he rest, he's been resting ever since. And that's not true either. God has continued to work since the fall. Jesus put it this way in John 5, verse 17. My father is working unto now. You say, well, if, he, well, if he's done with creation, what is he doing now? Well, first of all, there's the preservation of everything that he has made. God sustains everything he created moment by moment. God actually, using the processes he put in place, continues to sustain life. The reason your heart keeps beating every moment is because ultimately God is working. He keeps the stars in their courses. He keeps the cycles of the seasons. He keeps the rain and the hydrological cycle watering the earth. He covers all of those things in his work. God in his providence is causing all things to work out as he planned. God continues to work. He works in, re, in, in the work of redemption and the advancement of the kingdom of his son. God is working, Romans, right? Romans 8.28. God is working all things out for good to those who love him and are called 
according to his purpose. God is working until now, and God will continue to work throughout human history. God works. So it's not a surprise then that as a perfect reflection of the image and activity of God that the first man, Adam, worked. And he worked before the fall. This is clear in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Listen to chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord put the man into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Adam was made for work, and he worked before there was sin in the world. So what happened then in the fall when it comes to work? Well, in Genesis 3, as a result of the fall, all that changed was this. God cursed man's activity of work so that it became a struggle. Man now has to fight against the cursed earth and has to bring out of it what he needs by the sweat of his brow. So men worked. Adam and Eve worked before the fall. Now since the fall, we work in a cursed world where work is harder. But understand this. In the eternal state, Christians will continue to work. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. Revelation 22, verse 3. Talking about the eternal state, the new earth. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that new earth and in that capital city. As it's described there, and listen to this. And his bondservants, that's us, will serve him. We will work for eternity. Work then is a reflection of God's character because God works but not only is God like, not, oh, sorry, but not only is work God-like, work is also for us a divine gift and blessing. I wish I had time to develop this, but look at, uh, let's look at a, a couple references here. Solomon, Solomon teaches us in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 19. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward. And listen to this. And rejoice in his labor. This is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13, he says that every man who eats and drinks, that's a reference to uh, enjoys life, sees good in all of his labor. This is a gift of God. It is good to see good in the work that you have accomplished. You know, this is so opposite of the thinking of unbelievers around us, but this is the understanding of work that shaped and framed the Protestant Reformation. This is what Martin Luther said about working unto the Lord. Quote, Your work, Christian, is, very, is a very sacred matter. God delights in it, and through it he wants to bestow his blessings on you. The world does not consider work a blessing, therefore they flee and hate it. But the righteous, who fear the Lord, 
labor with a ready and cheerful heart, for they know God's command and will for us. Psalm 128 verse 2 says, When you eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Work is a divine gift through which God bestows his blessings on us. Not only is work a reflection of God's character, not only is it a divine gift, but work is also a command. Look again at Ephesians 4 verse 28. This is not just addressed to the one who steals. Ultimately, this is a Christian virtue we are all to put on. He must labor to the point of exhaustion. Exodus 20, verse 9 says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now that doesn't mean that we have to work six days a week. However, what is being clearly said is God is sovereign over our time and has determined that a majority of our time would be spent working. And one day a week, we would set aside for corporate worship. Work is an essential part of the Christian life. In fact, if a person isn't willing to work, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he's not to eat either. He goes on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 to say, if there's a Christian who can work but isn't working, who is being lazy and refusing to work, then that person needs to be disciplined out of the fellowship of the church. Scripture puts an extreme high value on work. If you doubt that, just think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember, are you aware that our Lord worked a regular job like you and I for 17 years of his earthly life? From the age of manhood, at 13 years of age, when he began his ministry to the age of 30, he worked a regular job just like you and I. Matter of fact, when they seen him in town in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, the people said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, concerning Jesus? Because that's what they known him as. A regular guy that went to work every day, like you and I. The word carpenter in the Greek literally means craftsman. The word is broad in meaning like our English word builder. It can refer to someone who does the work of a carpenter, someone who does the work of a brick mason, or works with wood. It's interesting, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers who was discipled by the Apostle Paul, wrote this. When Jesus was among men, he made plows and yokes and other farm implements. It was not beneath the Son of God to work. Then surely it is not beneath his children. Jesus had imparted to a life of work both dignity and nobility. So brothers and sisters, understand the importance of work. It is a command to you and me. It is a divine gift from God and a reflection of the very character of God himself. Principle number two in your outline. 
concerning work that we find here in this passage. We must work for biblical reasons. We must work for biblical reasons. Look at verse 28 again. He must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Now that's a really important thing because most people work hard only for themselves or their family or for their own comforts or satisfactions, uh, even for their own financial success. But for Christians, those things cannot be the only things that we work for. There are other more for, uh, compelling biblical reasons to work than those. A couple of those compelling reasons are here in this text. Let me briefly point them out to you. The first reason. If you're going to work for biblical reasons, you need to first work to care for your own needs and enjoyment. Now notice what's implied in verse 28. Instead of stealing from others, we are to work to provide for our own needs. It's not directly stated, but it's certainly implied. And it is specifically stated by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, where Paul says this, Work with your hands so that you will not be in any need. You're to work to meet your own needs. But the Bible also says, and this is really interesting, that what we earn by our work, we also to be used not only for our needs, but for our enjoyment. God is so gracious and generous to us. Listen to how the Old Testament puts it in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 19. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, Solomon writes, to eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of life which God has given him, for this is his reward. That is from God. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and by the way, that's all of us, considering the millions of people in this, on this earth, we're all rich. And spiritually, we're very rich. But God's word says, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift from God. That's the Old Testament. Listen to Paul in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, where he writes this, Instruct those who are rich in this present world to fix their hope on God. Then he adds this, Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Listen, God expects you to use what you earn to meet your own needs, but also then to enjoy your life with those, with that labor. There's nothing wrong with that within the framework of his word. We're, go, we're to work to meet our own needs and to enjoy the fruit of our labor as God's gift. Second reason, and these are going to build up to the most important reason. Second reason, 
We should work to benefit others. Look at verse 28. Working with his own hands, and this is the fascinating way to say this, working with his own hands what is good. What does Paul mean by that? If your job is not encouraging other people to sin, which I hope it's not, if it's a legitimate job, then understand this. It benefits other people. Your job benefits other people. It's for their good. In fact, your daily work is part of God's common grace to his creatures to make their lives better in a fallen world. Is that how you think about your job each day? That you're an instrument of God and, and helping other people out, part of his common grace? Listen, this is true in whatever you do. If you work within your home, then you're benefiting these people, the, the children, your family within the home. And through them, you're going to benefit others that they will one day interact and influence in their lives. If you work outside your home or employ other people, your work blesses others as you work unto the Lord. In fact, let me encourage you to do something. Think about what you do and think about how God uses that to benefit other people. I mean, I just think about when the snowstorms come, you know, and my brother Keith and other guys are out there plowing the streets, right? So we can get the CVS, so we can get food from the markets. He's not, he's, his labor, he, he's providing for himself. He's the benefits for his family uh, to enjoy, but he's also helping out others. He's making it possible for people to get where they need to go through in storms. And, and everything that each one of us do, nurses, doctors, utility workers, I mean, we're all the same. We work hard for the Lord, but we bless others. People, in, you know, people that come in contact with us, what we do matters to God because he uses it as common grace to others. We are Christians, are God's instruments in the lives of others. And we reflect his goodness and his grace. Matthew 5, verse 16, very familiar, right? Let your light so shine among men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Understand this. What you do each day blesses others, either directly or indirectly. If you are working with the right attitude and working with the right motive of heart. Third reason. You're to work to provide for your dependents. Work to provide for your dependents. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 14 says this. Children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. We parents have a responsibility to care for our children. Paul, in 1 Timothy 5a, puts it this way. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have a responsibility to our dependents. And by the way, the context in 1 Timothy 5.8 is not just the kids. It's also the parents and the grandparents. Fourth reason. 
We're to work so that we can give to others in need. Work to give to others in need. Now look back at at Ephesians 4, verse 28. He must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. The word need means a lack of some necessity. We are to work so that we can share with those in need. This is what's commanded throughout the New Testament. Romans 12, verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Galatians six ten says, let us do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. 1 Timothy 6.18, instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Hebrews 13 verse 16 says, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices pleases God. We need to understand that part of the reason we work in the divine plan of God is not only so we can meet our own needs and enjoy life, but so that we can help others who are in need. Fifth reason to work is to advance Christ's kingdom through the, through the church. To advance Christ's kingdom through the church. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says, But store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. Use your earthly wealth to invest into heaven. How do you do that? Later, in the same chapter, verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's especially... I really want to emphasize that to the young people here today. That's where it starts. If you're pursuing college, career, um, whatever you're pursuing in your life, relationships, seek first God. Seek Him and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. That's where it starts. You have big hopes, big expectations. It starts by seeking God in your life first and his righteousness. And then all these things in life, according to God's will, will be added to you. As we labor in this world and use our gifts and abilities to meet our needs and the needs of others, we will be investing in Christ's kingdom through the ministry and mission of the church Investing in the kingdom and kingdom work. Sixth reason. To work is to be a testimony of our Lord to unbelievers. To be a testimony to unbelievers. Did you realize how your work can be a testimony for Christ in the workplace? Paul says this in Titus 2, verses 9 through 10. Urge Urge bond servants to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, and listen to this, 
so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. How you work in your workplace either adorns the gospel or detracts from the gospel. And just quick, real quick. When you're in the workplace, you know, first of all, the garments, right? So if you're wearing the wrong garments to something, you're out of place. If, if I'm waiting for surgery and the doctor comes in wearing a baseball uniform, it's, it's, it's out of place. It's, it, I'm, I'm nervous at that point. You know, it, every trade that's out there has usually a specific uniform or a certain look to it, and it's out of place. So we as believers have new garments, right? Right? We're a new, new man, right? Those old garments have been buried with the old man who, who died to sin and, and, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. So we're this new creation. We have these new garments. We're, we're a new creation in Christ. And, and then you'll see how we interact in the workplace and how we are with our neighbors. And it should reflect that. The doctor should look like a doctor when he comes in the office. When I look at a Christian, I should see Christ. I shouldn't see the world. And it's very upsetting when I see someone claim the name of Jesus Christ and they're walking around in grave clothes. It doesn't work. It's, it's sad. We need, to, we need to know what has happened to us that we've been transformed by the, from the inside out, that we are a reflection of Jesus Christ where we go. And our conduct and our ethics should be above everybody else's because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our boss is greater than anybody on this earth. And we're on this earth to work and to please and honor him and bring glory to him. The final reason, we're at the top, work is to promote God's glory. This, of course, is the end all of every reason given today. Romans 11, verse 36 says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. That includes our work. These are some biblical reasons that you and I work unto the Lord. Next week we'll be looking at Ephesians 6 verses 5 through 8, principles 3 through 9. Today we conclude, we, uh, conclude this message with a brief short application. And I think I've gone through this mostly, but the best thing that ever happened to me was work. Because I work so much and it's been my ministry my whole life. My Christian witness, my ministry is my job. Think about it. We work every day. We spend more time on our jobs with the people that we work with than sometimes with our own family. It's the greatest time to let our lights so shine to be different than everybody else. Not to curse. Not to talk, that, talk that's not right, impure and we're to, we're to be a light where we are. And how many times have I shared the gospel at work? It's, it's, it, the doors open constantly because people look at you and say, you're not like everybody else here. What's different in you? You don't curse. 
You don't swear. You don't hate people. And I tell them it's because of what Jesus has done in my life. It's an open door to share the gospel. Our jobs are a ministry. It's where we shine for Jesus Christ, where we we bring people to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Because of his great love for me, that's why I am who I am. And whatever you see that's good in my life is because of what he has done in my life. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. This is why work is so important to God, because it's a great opportunity for us as believers to reflect the goodness and the greatness of our God to a dark and sinful world.